Hey everybody and welcome in to the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. Gunstock Mountain Resort is now open for the winter season. Enjoy top to bottom skiing and riding and remember to take a moment and stop and take in that iconic view from the summit. Check out our tubing hill for thrills and laughs. Night sessions feature the most lit terrain in all of New England for all you night owls. Book your lift tickets, rentals, and tubing online in advance. Check out our upcoming events at gunstock.com. Embrace the chill this winter at Gunstock. And discover what you've been missing when you visit Burke Mountain, the last little corner of Vermont. Located only seven miles off Interstate 91, the slopes are closer than you think. Take advantage of their incredible midweek deals like $45 Monday through Friday lift tickets or Wicked Wednesdays where three people can ski or ride for the price of one. That's right. You and two of your friends can ski and ride for just 15 bucks a piece every Wednesday, non-holiday. Incredible. To learn more, book your overnight stay at the Ski In, Ski Out Burke Mountain Hotel or purchase lift tickets, visit SkiBurke.com. I am New England Ski Journal editor Eric Wilbur. I am joined by my co-host Mike Specian. Mike, how are you? Good afternoon, Eric. I'm doing fantastic. A little bit warmer today than I was this weekend. Oh, boy. Did you ski this weekend? Oh, I did not. <laughs> I skied I skied last Thursday before that polar vortex just blew up. Yeah. And it, I mean, look, I went to school in, in at St. Mike's in Winooski Park, Vermont, and, and, it, and it got single digits there all the time. So it wasn't anything negative zero, negative two, negative three. That happened from time to time. But it was cold. <laughs> this was a cold I did not remember in a long, long time. I, I said, no, we're not going skiing this weekend, kids. Absolutely not. They did not argue because they knew how cold it was going to be. And it was the right decision. This was a quick polar vortex. For, I'll say that much for it. It was in and out. I, I kind of wish it would stick around a little bit, little bit longer just so we could use that those temperatures for some snowmaking. But, you know, it was... It was downright cold, historic cold, top of Mount Washington. What was it, 108 miles an hour wind chill or 108 below wind chill? It's just really just a, a, a legendary evening and in, in part of Saturday in, in all of New England. It was absolutely amazing. If you saw the videos on top of Mount Washington with the wind, hurricane forest winds at 50 plus below zero, it was crazy. I pulled up some webcams on Friday and Saturday, chairs were going sideways and resorts made the right decision. I mean, the resorts up north that shut down the upper mountains, many that shut down completely, yep. did the right thing. Yep. Minus 108, by the way, a wind chill on, on Mount Washington Friday night. It, it was, I don't want to say funny, humorous, aggravating, all of the above. When ski areas made the decisions on Thursday and or Friday to either close or limit lifts, you could only imagine the rational social media landscape that <laughs> emerged from that, right? Particularly when something like J Peak closed for the day. I mean, this is J Peak. That's not the J way. We're supposed to be nice and cold and frostbite and be proud of it. But no, you know, Steve Wright made the right decision to limit the lifts or to close the lifts all day Friday, saying, don't come back on Saturday and think it's going to be much different. And other resorts either closed or limited the lifts. And I get it. It's frustrating. If you're coming from Boston or New York or Connecticut or Rhode Island and you've got the weekend planned at Stowe and you've spent all this money to stay right at the base and you get there and the mountain is closed because it's negative 20 degrees. It's frustrating, but there's not much you or the mountain can do in that regard. So I think part of this, you know, 
old school, hardened New Englander. How could you not ski in anything that's negative? But you can deal with it. It's, I understand that attitude for, on, on the one hand. On the other hand, we got to be smart. We got to be intelligent. We got to be, know the limitations of our equipment. And, and that's part of skiing in the beginning. It's not even just our equipment. It's the equipment that gives us the entire landscape to enjoy our, our activity. So it, it was a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I think at the end of the day, Steve Wright said it best. You, you know who the hardiest New Englanders are because they will let you know on social media when you close the mountain. Yeah, of course they will. But that temperature, those wind chills that were freezing pipes, we haven't seen that in a while in New England, um, was having an effect on the equipment, as you said, the lifts. Hydraulic fluid doesn't move when it's that cold. And that's why it took him so long to get these lifts back up. I'm going to read you something here. This was on a web page of an area that did get open Saturday and this was up. I'm not going to say which area it is, but this this is the way it came out. Some snow surfaces are the most injury-producing we have ever seen with windswept, windslab, ski mountaineering conditions. That's what this vortex did to the upper mountains. And the areas had to take it seriously for all of our protection. And guess what? Sunday was an epic day. You just had to wait it out. Yep. And I, and I think that's that's the... the Sorry, let me rebound. Yeah, I think Sunday was one of those sort of New England days out of nowhere, right? The, the kind of day you can't plan for that you just get graced with. And those who went out Sunday found just a fantastic landscape to work with. I actually, one of my, if you had to ask me my most magical day on the mountain ever, not necessarily the best day, but the most magical day had to be one of those kind of days. And I can tell you exactly when it was. It was January 3rd, 2010 at Cannon Mountain. Now, the only reason I remember it was January 3rd was because after I skied the epic day at Cannon in a snowstorm, Wes Welker ruptured his ACL in a football game against the Houston Texans that I was watching at the Cannonball Pub. At that point, I was, I was exhausted because I had hit Cannon Mountain at the perfect time of the year it had just snowed all night it was lit it was a powder day like you dream about and when you're at cannon mountain to begin with if there's snow or no snow you kind of feel like you're in your own world right up there in franconia notch you're just in the midst of nature and to it's i know it's so cliche to say it was like i was in a snow globe but this was like a snow globe because franconia notch was like the glass the snow was coming down and i was in my own bubble of just skiing bliss. And I will, I've been to Canon many times. I will never forget it. Then it was so perfect that day that I always want to go back and recreate it. And you get close, but you got to also understand those moments and those days that come out of nowhere, they're, they're memories that you hold that you may or may not repeat one day. It doesn't really matter. Cherish the memory. You need to cherish those memories. You talk about Canon. I view Canon like Wildcat. They're tucked up in these notches. They have their own weather patterns. And when you hit it and it's good, it is unbelievable, especially as you're looking out at Lafayette with that peak up above the clouds. But, you know, at the same time, they're tucked up in that notch with that Venturi effect, depending on the wind direction, that wind just accelerates through those notches, and it can be blustery. 
just a totally different experience that you remember. You, you bring up Wildcat. I think that's, I was amazed when Vail purchased Wildcat. I mean, we understand how they purchased it under peak, peak resorts and whatnot. But, you know, of all the resorts that they have, Wildcat seemed the most unveil, right? It's, it's, it's a little remote. It's very rustic. It's, there's no, there's no massages down at the base. There's no, there's no mountain coaster. There's, there's none of that. It's just sort of skiing and, and nature, natural environment and enjoying stuff around there. At Cannon, again, you're not going to go get a massage at Cannon Mountain, and you're not going to have the the nightlife that you might at a place like Killington. What you get at Cannon and, and Wildcat is just all natural skiing, just right down to simplicity with, with mountains and terrain that are just among the gnarliest in all of New England, right? It's just the, the jagged edges when you're at Cannon. The jagged edges coming out of you, coming at you from every other direction, just surrounded by mountains is just there's something powerful about being in that or at Cannon Mountain and the in the independent nature of that place and the independent nature of the faithful that go there truly make it one of those places like it's one of the bigger mountains in New England it's the most vertical pitch i believe in New Hampshire and it just breeds this special environment of of who it is like who we are and and what we strive to do and that is you know John DeVivo who we're going to have on the show in a few minutes, once said to New England Ski, Ski Journal that there's nothing fancy about Cannon Mountain, and that's the way we like it. And I think that's just the, the, the perfect way to sum up the sort of experience you're going to get there. Cannon is a very special spot. It's one of those spots in New England, when you look at a sugar loaf, when you look at a sugar bush or a cannon, people that ski at these areas are dedicated to these areas they, they are home to them. We're also going to have a guest on who's been there for over 40 years that can tell us why exactly Cannon is home to him. Looking forward to that talk. I am too. John DeVivo, general manager of Cannon Mountain, has been there since 2007. One of the most talkative people in the industry in New England. You sit down with John and you get a lot of information in a very short time. Knows his stuff and he knows Cannon like the back of his hand. As does Robin Hicks, a longtime Canon ambassador, is going to join us. He's been there for more than 40 years. He's seen lots of changes up the mountain. He's been part of the great history that Canon can boast for itself. So we will have John and Robin coming up on the podcast right after this. Get ready to winter like you mean it. Make tracks to Stratton for a big mountain experience with corduroy cruisers, tree-lined trails, new terrain parks, miles of glades, all with snow so great it's guaranteed. Book your lodging at the heart of the resort and discover everything you love about winter is right outside your door. Like snow tubing, snowmobile tours, snowshoe treks, cross-country skiing. Then there's Stratton Village for shopping, dining, après, and late nights. Stratton.com to save on lift tickets and lodging packages. Great Glen Trails Outdoor Center is your one-stop adventure destination this winter. No lift lines, just great grooming and magical vistas. Classic snow tubing hill with hot cocoa and s'mores on the weekends. Try a guided snow coach tour. Grab your reservation to Treeline on Mount Washington. Private and group lessons for skiers of all ages and all abilities. Evening snowshoe tours and so much more. Check the website for booking options and details as well. GreatGlenTrails.com. 
Welcome back into the New England Ski Journal Base Camp Podcast. Joining us on the Zoom line is two very special guests from Cannon Mountain. John DeVivo, general manager, has been general manager at Cannon Mountain since 2007. And also Robin Hicks, a longtime Cannon ambassador, has been with the Mountain for more than 40 years. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us, guys. Uh, fantastic to have Cannon on board here. One of New Hampshire's favorite. So, J.D., since we're coming off such a, I guess in some respects, legendary weekend with the cold, can you tell us about some of the decisions that Cannon made prior to the weekend in terms of limiting access and what went into that, those decisions? It was pretty interesting. Starting probably last Monday or Tuesday, we really had to talk about lift and trail pods that made sense, whether or not running the summit lifts was going to make sense. It really came down to, we've, we've run at extremely low temps before on a sunny day with no wind. We run on very windy days on warmer day, but we've, it's been a long time since I can recall or anybody here was able to recall thirties with 30, 35 mile an hour wind up top. So, and it was a bizarre scenario where we knew that on Friday it was going to get progressively colder and windier during the day. And then on Saturday, it was going to become warmer and less windy during the day. So it, it was a matter of do we run on Friday and Saturday? Do we not run on Friday or Saturday? And after a lot of back and forth, back and forth amongst the management team, we decided that Friday would be a bit more of a gamble from a safety perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that was an easy one. And truthfully, we didn't have a whole hell of a lot of tickets pre-sold for Friday. So it was easy to have those folks just change their bookings to pretty much any other day, all season. And Saturday became a lot more palatable. We also decided... We won't run the summit. We'll run from the Peabody quad down and give you kind of two thirds of the ski area and uh, realistically two thirds of the Mittersill side as well. We'll seem fairly happy. And then Sunday was back to partly cloudy, partly sunny and temps in the high twenties and everybody was fairly happy. But we didn't do a ton of business on Saturday, but we felt like from a, I guess from a continuity perspective, it was important that we show the world that, Hey, we're a ski area. It's winter time to operate anytime we're outside of extreme parameters. So, so John, how, how high were the winds there during the weekend? I mean, we had maybe 30 to 35. We didn't have super high winds. It would have been enough to make things, I guess, fairly miserable for, for exposed skin or whatnot. From a snowmaker's perspective, it was great. Friday, Friday night into Saturday morning was not really a problem. And realistically, we, we either got lucky or we were really good because most of the wind was on that upper end of the ski area. We were recording some stuff, 35, 45 mile an hour gusts, but steady, maybe 25. But when you throw in negative 25 degrees, it wouldn't have been extremely pleasant. I guess I would say everything was straight up the line. Riding lifts would not have been a problem. Turning around and trying to ski down might've been a bit of a problem. You know, itself. I saw a lot of reaction throughout New England on social media, places like Jay Peak and, and Stowe and Cannon. And this is not like you know, your mom and pop ski area that's closing up shop for the day because you're only going to have a handful of guests, right? And you found out who the, the real true warriors were like, oh, you can't close them out in winter in New England. We can take it. So I guess what was the reaction of the, the Canon faithful that this wasn't going to be a typical Canon weekend? Oh, I think most people kind of figured it out. I would say that over the last 15 years with the explosion of social media, a lot more folks being very weather savvy, there wasn't a lot of surprise out there. I think some, I think probably more folks were surprised that we were operating than not, but Saturday turned out to be very manageable, very doable. The people who were here, there weren't many of them. 
they had a hell of a day. The snow was fantastic. The winds on the lower two-thirds were very tolerable and not so much at all. The top got scoured. We did a lot of grooming on uh, Saturday night into Sunday to sort of reel that stuff back in. We didn't have a huge Sunday. We've been selling somewhere around 1,100, 1,200 day tickets, and that'll swell to probably 1,500 day ticket sales when we get fully open. But at 700 sold plus passholder usage, which was probably at only about a third, maybe, of what we would normally see, it was quite pleasant Saturday and Sunday for folks. That's awesome. Social media has played a huge factor out there in the marketplace these days. Robin, I've heard you're called the mayor of Canon. I know I follow this page called the Canon Peeps. What's that all about? Well, the Canon Peeps, I started, I'm the administrator, and it's about the Canon people and about the love for this mountain and the love for skiing. This, if you have a negative thought, don't put it on Canon Peeps because I won't accept it. We, we, it's everything positive. That's what it's about, about taking care of your fellow skier saying hello to them. How's your day? Whether they're from a local, a pass holder, or someone that's coming up for the day, give them the Canon experience. It's the, it's the Canon peeps are about the spirit of the mountain and the spirit of the people. Speak a little bit about that, Robin, because as the mayor, you would have the understanding what has kept you there for more than 40 years. What is it about Canon that has made it your home? Well, I'm not really the mayor because I'm not getting paid anything. You know, JD won't even buy me a drink at the bar. So come on. <laughs> I want to get that clear. I, I just, my, my father-in-law skied over in Middlesil. That's where I learned with, he, he was a ski instructor with Paul and Paul, a fantastic man. He skied right up until he was 96. He died in, at 98 and a half a few years ago. Just an unbelievable skier. And he was the true sense of a Canon Peeps, even though he's over in Minnesota. We said Cannon first, then went to Minnesota, then came back to Cannon. It, it just has such a, a history, and you can feel the strength of the mountain when you get up there and you come down on Taft and it's icy, and you go, people are complaining, you're like, wait a minute, there's snow on the sides. What are you talking about? Look at this view. It, 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 it's, just, it's just something that you really can't explain until you ski it and you feel it and you, and you, and you, you know, feel the people and the, their positive attitude and their strength. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing mountain. Fantastic mountain. It's close enough to the ocean. I'll let, I love skiing out West. I could never live out West just because of and the mountains, the extreme mountains we have out here with, and of course the ocean is another passion of mine, but we'll get into that in another podcast. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I was up there, I guess, two Fridays ago. It was a beautiful sunny day and I took a snap to picture of course, and posted it saying, attitude adjusted, adjusting moment. And that's what Canon is at times when you look out. And JD, I see your pictures all the time. The ownership up there. Can I, can I maybe too much, JD? Take a hint. Maybe too much. <laughs> we, we love skiing GMs, that's for sure. <laughs> J, JD, you're a state employee. Tell us about how that works. We've had Whiteface on the, on the show before over New York. Tell us how it works in New Hampshire. Yeah, I mean, essentially, we consider all of Franconia Notch State Park to be, I guess, one entity with a dual identity, right? So from the Canon perspective, you've got a year-round core team that handles the maintenance and the administration stuff. But realistically, from a business perspective, Franconia Notch State Park is comprised of the ski area and the summer tramway operation, Echo Lake Beach, Lafayette Place Campground, and the Flume Gorge. All of them individually very iconic 
within not only the state of New Hampshire, but, but throughout New England, I think. It, it's essentially, we consider ourselves to be New Hampshire's flagship state park. We like to think that we're New Hampshire's most kick-ass ski area. We do have a, a, a pretty rabid following and, and we love that. It, it, they love it as well. So we are part of, we're a, a pretty major part of the New Hampshire state park system. Franconia Notch State Park as a whole generates more than 50% of the annual revenue of the entire 106 venue state park system. So out of those 106 venues, about 26 to 28 make a net surplus each year, actually generate a net surplus of revenue over expense. The other 80 or so don't. So part of our mechanism is to support the entirety of the state park system. We, tomorrow, in fact, we go before the Senate Finance Committee here in New Hampshire on phase one of Senate Bill 55, which would call for the funding of $25 million to replace most of the primary systems of the aerial tramway. It was the first aerial tramway in North America. It's iconic throughout the Northeast. It's one of only two in all of New England with Jay Peak also having an aerial tramway. And, and it's really, it's not even about the ski area. The tram is about New Hampshire in general, the iconography that it carries with it. And so essentially you've got Cannon Ski Area, New Hampshire State Park itself, the state system and our parent company, so to speak, is what we call DNCR, Department of Natural and Cultural Resources. So I, I guess if you're drawing a parallel, the uh, DNCR would be our parent company. I guess the state park system would be sort of the management company. But really here on the ground, we essentially own and operate Cannon Mountain just like any other New Hampshire ski area. It really shouldn't matter to you guys or to skiers when they come here who our ownership group is. It should matter that we operate in a manner consistent with our ski industry counterpart. Cannon is obviously a place that, that's steeped in so much history and not just because the New England Ski Museum is at, looking at the base of the tram. Everyone knows about Bodie Miller and how the, the, the World Cup skier was trained at Cannon. But I think what, what fewer people, at least my age, are, are, or understand is that Cannon was the site, the, the first American World Cup race, which is a pretty significant thing for, to, to hang your hat on. And there's so much history here. Yeah. I went to visit one of our guys who was injured in a, an accident a few weeks back. He lives over in Sugar Hill. And as I was driving towards his house, he's about a mile from Peckett's Hill, which was the site of America's first ski school here at Cannon. We had the first aerial tramway in North America, the first professional ski patrol in the United States, the first World Cup held in North America. Bodie Miller, of course, America's winningest ever men's alpine ski racer. We have the only Robin Hicks that we're aware of. <laughs> I mean, from a historical perspective, Cannon's amazing. And you, you set foot off of the tram and you look around and then you hike the rim trail and all this kind of stuff. And you've got literally this smash up of history versus holy crap, look at this place that we're in. And then you're looking across the way at, at Mount Lafayette and whatnot. I've been here for, it's my 16th winter. I've been here for 15 full years and I'm still the new guy kind of getting into all the history and the historical perspective and whatnot. And I love kind of leaning on folks like Robin who've been here for at least two thirds or three quarters of their life here. At, I'm a, I'm a third generation Cannon skier. My grandpa used to ski here. My dad used to ski here. I'm here. My kids have grown up. They come right up through the ranks here at Cannon. And you just kind of get sucked in by all of that historical perspective. And since day one to this morning, it's been a great big family ski area that happens to have some kick-ass terrain. 
It sure does. It's the terrain is some of the best to the Northeast. It is a proving ground for great skiers. Yeah, I think the consistency of the fall line is the biggest thing. I mean, people forget that we actually have a great beginner's progression too. We've got Brookside over to the Tuckerbrook family area over to Eagle Cliff. And they forget about that because what do you see as you're driving 93 is the front five and the tram line and whatnot. But when you turn the corner, you can see that we actually do have some great beginner and intermediate terrain. But from a consistency of fall line perspective, it is challenging. You kind of do need to be on your skis, shins mashed to your boots and, uh, and enjoy while you're at it. Kick some butt and have a smile on your face and it's pretty fun. And then meet down in the pub at the end of the day and come back tomorrow. Do it again. Robin, can you describe for us what Mittersill is, was, the, the, the feeling that it, that it means as part of canon? Man, you were just reading my mind. So hiking the saddle, coming up over the saddle and looking out over the canon is just an awesome sight. And then skiing down the chute and up to the top of the chair, going right or left. Baron's run is just like unbelievable now. It's so open. You, you, can, you ski the sides, you ski the center. It is like an experience you'll never have anywhere else. It's amazing. The T-bar, the fantastic. That racing slope, what, what FSC has done to, to the facility over there is amazing. It is unbelievable. You go out on that deck and you look out up the, the mountain. It is fantastic. They have done a fantastic job. We, we buried some, we spread some of my father-in-law's ashes on, I was he called, uh, uh, right at the bottom there, the demonstration slope way back when. So we had a nice little P of Chrissy Villar came over. We spread some ashes. It was a nice tribute, but you, wherever you stand on Middlesill or Cannon, it's majestical. It, it's, it's like something you'll never, ever feel anywhere in your life. To me, anyways, it, it is a fantastic feeling of being one with the mountain. You can feel, I don't know if it's corny saying the magnetic force, but it's, it's a, it's a force that I've never felt anywhere else. I've skied Alta. Alta's pretty close, but not as, 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 as canon. JD, you once told me that one of your, the, the proudest accomplishments in, in your personal career there now, 16 years at Canon was one, building a great team, but two, revitalizing. Can you tell us a little bit about how that process started and what it has meant for Canon? Yeah, when I, uh, when I went through the interview process back in 2007, the guy named George Bald was the commissioner of what they then called DREAD. Actually, it was Department of Resources and Economic Development before they did some shuffling and what. And he said, we've got this place called Mittersill. And I had remembered when I was a kid, my dad used to talk about it all the time. And I think it was in 84, the ski area at Mittersill went defunct. The Alpine Resort has always remained viable, but this was probably... 81, 82, 83, we were skiing over there. And I said, what is that over there? And he kind of told me about a bunch of that stuff. And really it, it sat from 84 to 2009 as, as kind of this mythological creature over there that Robin and everyone else used to sort of hike up and over the saddle and have to truck their way back. And it was sort of kind of illegal, but everybody did it anyway. And it's not like the state really went after anybody in the feds. It was basically White Mountain National Forest property up top. And brought. it took until 2009 before the commissioner and, and at the time, the manager of White Mountain National Forest finally worked up an acceptable land swap. It took 25 years for them to figure out which pieces of property, and there was no money exchange, 
which two pieces of property would be viable and amenable for each side. And so for the 100 acre summit of Mount Jackson geographically was exchanged for the 244 acre parcel known as Sentinel Mountain State Forest over at Piermont. So 25 years in the making, and there were, there were so many different people that were involved in kind of crafting the language and getting us up off the ground. And we, sometimes we thought it would never happen. It was all sort of this, again, kind of this mythological thing. It really felt like something we had to, in 89 was when that piece of land was sold to the state for $1 under the auspices that the cannon would eventually revitalize Mittersill. And the, the role that I've played was really to fan the flames, both in Concord and amongst our, our rabidly loyal pass holder base, and to kind of drive the bus on all the behind the scenes stuff, stop the gas pedal publicly, and really make people understand that this is for everyone. So we got the we got the stuff signed in March of 2009, and I think Robin was there. We probably had six or 800 people at the summit when we celebrated and kind of cut the rope officially and everybody paraded up and over and, and yep. the helicopter. And on the next day, it rained like out of the Bible and Mittersill was done for the year. That was in 2009. Yep. Um, then we started, we went and we got the funding for the double chair to basically replace the existing double chair. And it remained a double chair for two reasons. Number one, at Mittersill, we wanted to respect and pay homage to the ski area itself. And, and we don't want ever more than 20, 25% of our guests over there at any given time, because it's got that incredible mystique. And right now it's 50% snow made and groomed, 50% glades. The other part was because of the Bicknell's thrush habitat that's over there. We wanted to pay respect to that. And so there's a no new net loss of habitat clause in all of the agreements that we have with all the acronym groups, the, the bird people, the fish people, the frog people, the tree people all those kinds of people. And so the, the, the lift line remains 54 feet wide, not 54 feet in one inch. We, we trim everything accordingly. We respect the nesting period of the bird itself. And it's almost like the, the, the mascot over there. So in 2011, in January, we christened the new double chair. And on the day after that, Franconia Ski Club, the president and uh, vice president came in and said, have we got a great idea. We're looking for a safer place to train away from the, the, the main ski area. We're out of your way. You're out of our way and safer. As a result, we can bring bigger and better events here to Franconia. They have to eat somewhere. They have to sleep somewhere. They have to buy gas and buy food somewhere. It's a great step for the North country economy. So the club went out sort of in cahoots with us on fundraising, spending, gifting to the state, all the PR stuff. And so we, uh, we started with some trail work. We added a, another compressor for snowmaking. We've put a new T-bar in over there. We built a building over there as kind of their home base. And realistically have completely revitalized what was formerly the Mittersill Alpine Resort. And now it's essentially the Mittersill terrain area. And from a racing perspective, it's called the Mittersill Race and Training. We've got several different names and iterations and whatnot. From Robin's perspective, my hope is that we've paid homage to the former and now we're kind of into the present and, and looking into the future, not only from a skier's perspective, but from a racing and training perspective. I think it kind of hits on all cylinders. It's great for the mountain. It's really good for the mountain. Yeah, I think it brought it all together. Robin, you were mentioned hike, hiking up over the saddle and JD just mentioned all the tree skiing over at Mittersole. That's my realm. Why don't you give us all a view of what's there tree skiing wise for the person going out to explore? This Ben, it's all for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> really thinks over there. You can't find any. It's actually pretty awesome. There's some pretty interesting little hidden trails that you can find that down the Minnesota Village. But it's and on Cannon itself, there's a lot of glades that are pretty cool, pretty opened up. You can find some good stashes in there, powder up to your waist, which is pretty amazing for New England. Unless you can you can find it in the in the glades, but. Uh, Cannon is some pretty nice tree ski there. You have to find it. I'm telling you, it is. So, hopefully, it doesn't have it on the GPS. Either. Nice. <laughs> JD, how many years is this that Cannon has been an Indy Pass member? Oh, geez. I want to say, I think this is our third year, fourth year. I know in the first year we were with Indy Pass, we were, I think, number four in the nation for redemption. And let's be realistic. Half the skiers in the United States are, I think, in, on the East Coast. And so that made that fairly easy. I know Jay Peak, Cannon, Pat Peak, Waterville Valley. I think we're four of the top anywhere in the country. There's some Western areas now that are picking up some steam for sure. Again, they're all kind of these iconic areas that have some mystique. Maybe people who don't have season passes, they want to come for a couple of days. Most of us now have RFID card technology where realistically, if you come and you fall in love with a ski area, you can, you can essentially go online and, and become a pass holder if you want, or book future visits or whatnot. We, the first year we were on Indie Pass, they wrote us a, a nice, great big check. And that was fantastic. It was also the first year. Of, and so we took a look at that and said, geez, this is a nice big check, but it probably would have been 50% higher. And we sold those tickets outright. And so we worked with those guys. The great thing about Indy Pass is they, they kind of get it from a ski area perspective and a skier's perspective. So look, we're going to have to throw in some kind of limitations on this stuff so that we can both hit your audience. Because we, I mean, we're about as indie as it gets. We're a state agency, but we're, we're an independent skier and we love that. That's what's so core about Canada is we're, we're about as indie as it gets. So we wanted to go after that group, but at the same time, we have to make money. Our mission is to not only provide value-based recreation, but again, to support the entire New Hampshire park system. So uh, I think right now, if people ski on a midweek day as an Indy Pass holder, I think we get 93, 94% of the retail value. If they ski on a weekend day, I think we get maybe 75% of the retail value. So it really hits on both cylinders and, and it's fantastic. You know, the first year we were Indy Pass, we did over 4,000 unique visits from folks who may never be here. And they came from 33 different states. Again, it was a COVID year, so we would rather have done the pure revenue, but it really did what it set out to do. And we're, we're pretty happy to be with them. As an Indy Pass holder from day one, uh, I'm a 100% supporter of independent resorts, first and foremost. JD, what events are coming up that people would want to potentially put on their radar screen? Well, I, I mean, at this point, it's we're kind of looking forward to spring. If we have a spring this year, you just never know. Um, Bodie Fest, of course, is coming back. We've got the Splash Bond stuff going on. We've got 80s Day. Everybody loves 80s Day. That's kind of become a, a signature event of ours. We had Military Appreciation Day. It's kind of strange. At Cannon, we don't do the big monster trucks raging around the slopes. We don't do the Red Bull sled necks where the guys are jumping 100 feet and all this kind of stuff. We don't do the, the fluff and stuff. We do small budget very core based events. Even our, our competition events are based around the person and the people and the families and whatnot. So we don't do big, giant, fully blown jets flying overhead, like the Super Bowl or anything like that. We do value-based people-based 
event stuff. You mentioned IndyPass stuff and whatnot, just circling back to that. One thing that people really love is when we, we actually do limit day ticket sales. And, but for even for IndyPass folks, you got to go online and book, which realistically means that we're, we're averaging eight minute lift lines. And so no matter how busy you are on a particular day, you know that you got some elbow room and you know that you're not going to wait a lot of, a lot of time in line. But event wise, yeah, we're all kind of anticipating a big jump into March. And hopefully it's one of these marches where the midweek days are in the twenties and the weekend days are high twenties, low thirties. All right. We want some inside information since we've got two experts on hand here. So Robin, I'll start with you. It's a powder day. Where are you going first? Grab the trail up to the top and coming down. It depends which way the wind's blowing, but coming down either Vista or Taft, cutting across, going down bypass, hanging it tight middle over to Avi or Paulie's is one of my favorite. And then getting on the tram and doing it again. JD, how about you? I think on a powder day, I've got to hit either Minnesota lift line or DJ's tram line. I like the steeps, but I also like to traverse those and really kind of surf the sides. Perfect. What, what about hidden gem out there? A trail gem that somebody shouldn't miss. Go ahead, JD. I kind of like, I'd say lower hard scramble to red ball. It's sort of tucked out of the way. You don't really think about it too often. It's true, typical old school New England. And, and, and most of the time, let's face it, red ball is adventure skiing at best, right? No snowmaking on it. You're skiing the thickets and laughing the whole time on your way back down through turnpike and you, you're out of there. And not a lot of people discover all the way down through there. In three words, how would you describe Canon and the vibe? Oh, I'm going to have to defer to Robin first. Okay. The vibe is awesome. I mean, you, you very seldom don't see a smile on my face at Canon. I, I don't care if it's 40 below or 20 below or the sun shining. I, I just love the people. I love the mountain. It's just a fanta fantastic place to be. And how about you, JD? You say three words. I, I used four. I wrote kick-ass ski area. I mean, we, we kind of love being that place that people may not have been to before. And then they go home and they're like, hold, I went to Canon. You skied Canon. Yeah. Oh my God, I've heard such nasty stuff about that place. No, no, no. You have to go and try it. I mean, we always feel like uh, there are literally two types of Canon days. There's like a Canon day and then there's a Canon day. One is really incredible. And the other one is cloudy, wind stripped. And cause it's a big map, but we can give you both one day after the other day. And yeah. we, we kind of like that mystique of, of being a place that people go home and talk about. You know, I'm sure you guys have both both seen the Lahoots of North Country movie that does such a yeah. phenomenal job of putting Canon on the big, big little screen, on a screen, and just the beauty of that place and, and, and the remoteness and just the, the natural everything around there. If you haven't seen that, go check it out. North Country of Lahoots, a phenomenal, a phenomenal way to look at Canon and what it really means to be a New Hampshire mountain. Well, one final question for you both. This is a tough one. Eagles or Chiefs? We got a little game going on Sunday. Eagles or Chiefs? Go ahead, well, JD. I went, I went to college down in Pennsylvania. I got to go Eagles. There you go. Well, I didn't have a choice, but seeing he went Eagles, I'm saying Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy the game. Enjoy the skiing the rest what, of this year, and I'll be back up there a few times. What? One last thing. Ski down Vista Way, about a quarter way down. Stay to ski is right and take a look at the view. One of the awesome. best anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I think that's my, my cover photo that somebody took. I, I kind of stopped there and this woman that used to work here snapped a photo 
she sent it to me and I, I it's like the proudest moment, just kind of looking out over the Lafayette range. Yeah, I know the photo. It's very pensive. Pretty amazing. Yeah, 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 very cool. Pretty amazing. We're, we're blessed to be in this area. I tell people, if you can't be happy working here in Franconia and Hodgson, there's not a whole lot I can do for you. Now, on other days, I'm like, what idiot put a ski area here? But, Excellent. Yeah. John DeVivo, Robin Hicks, thank you very much for joining us. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I can't wait to get back up to Canada. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Be safe. New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast will return after this. Eagle Crest isn't your average community ski area. We're on an island in Alaska. We have panoramic ocean views, a 1,600-foot vertical drop, big mountain terrain, incredible backcountry access, less crowds, more snow, and some pretty historic streaks. It's now 50 consecutive days with snowfall. You can't drive here. You have to fly or ferry, which means shorter lines and untracked powder. We have great community. We're affordable. We have an amazing learning center. But it's not just the skiing and riding. Juno has a lot to offer. And we're right here waiting. If you want to be inspired and informed on everything about the New England ski and outdoor scene, then you need to check out SkiJournal.com. SkiJournal.com delivers daily content on breaking industry news, tips, gear, dining, travel, entertainment, as well as all archived episodes of the Emmy-nominated New England Ski Journal TV show, and the Base Camp Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to New England Ski Journal, the longest-running regional ski magazine in the country. New England Ski Journal's award-winning writers and photographers bring all four seasons to your door with best-in-class coverage on skiing and the outdoors. Log on to SkiJournal.com and click on the subscribe button to get New England Ski Journal mailed to you today. New England Ski Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. And now, back to the Base Camp Podcast. I got this from a, a Boston.com article a few years ago talking about the most challenging trails in New England. This is a comment that said, The most common question riding up on Cannon's tram looking down on DJ's tram line is, quote, Is that really a trail? Only open after significant snowfall, you have to navigate boulders and cliffs straight down the narrow, steep pitch trail, all while the passengers riding up on the trail watch in disbelief that someone is skiing down it. That seems like a common refrain at Cannon. This is a, a real challenging skier's mountain. It has that reputation. It's always had the reputation. It sure does. That, that tram line is, I remember looking at it 30-plus years ago going, Oh, I want to ski that. It was always closed. And in the back of my mind, all I could see was Dan Egan and Dean Dekas jumping out of that tram in that famous Warren Miller. Yeah, iconic, iconic shot. Iconic. New England boys launching out of the tram at Cannon. Now it's open when there's snow. I have skied it. It is so much fun. And I, th I think Cannon for me is one of we all know oh my gosh corner we've talked about driving through ludlow and how okimo looks but when you're driving through franconia notch state park 
and Cannon comes upon you, and you've got these trails that are just seemingly dipping right into the highway across right next to you. And it's so, there's no more dramatic encounter with a ski area in all of New England. Just getting there and then all of a sudden having these trails right in your face. The Front Five, Avalanche, Pauline's Folly, Zoomer, Rocket, Gary's. And they're there. They're just beckoning you to come. Enjoy. Enjoy our landscape. Enjoy what we've got to, to give you. And boy, does Canon deliver it delivers in a big way on those powder days. You just want to be up that that lift early because you look at those first tracks down those front five, they are incredible. And when you can say they're yours, they're even better. I think the other thing that I've loved Cannon proper, but the Mittersill side, mm-hmm. that path least traveled hiking over the saddle, before Mittersill was part of the Cannon overall ski area, we used to hike over the saddle all the time. And I can remember when my son was very young, I went to teleskiing because I, I wanted to slow everything down while he was learning. He and I went over that saddle one time and came down Barron's Run into the trees. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that little bugger took off on me. I hurt so bad trying to keep up with him on teleskis. The teleskis went away. I was an alpine skier again very quickly. Yeah, that same date, January 3rd, 2010, that was my first trip over to Middlesill, and it was a deep snow day. So you can only imagine the the effort it took to get over there. But when I got there, and it was just untracked, and, and no one had hit this because the, 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 the lift still wasn't there, and it was still, well, it was legal at this point, but like JD said, was it, it was legally legal, but nah. And I've never skied untracked powder to that degree, up to my waist in New England since. And it was just, that moment on Mittersill was just, to me, saying, this is a special place. This is this is something different. You do not get this at every other resort. It was different now, obviously, and it, it has really transformed that entire mountain. Combined with Mittersill, here's some stats for you. Cannon has 97 trails and glades. That translates to 25 miles, over 285 skiable acres, uh, 185 at Cannon, 100 at Mittersill, the longest vertical drop in the state from the highest ski area summit. Mittersill's peak measures at 3650 feet. The trail network breaks down to 15% beginner, 52% intermediate, and 33% expert. So, again, this is a challenging mountain. This is not, and again, they do have a great learning facility. But, you know, if you're, if you're looking for something a little more genteel, <laughs> Cannon's probably not going to give it to you. Yeah, if, if you want the Disney World experience, <laughs> I would suggest not going to Cannon. No, that's, okay. that's pretty much about the easiest way to put it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to... Ski where the people are real, where people care about you, where they care about each other. Cannon is a great place. It is the granddaddy of my home state, New Hampshire. And we all need to get up there and support it and make some turns on it. And it, it's every day, every time you go skiing, it's an escape, right? It's, a, it's an escape from reality. But when you get to Cannon, I mean, Cannon's just so, it's in a different layer different world the surroundings are totally different and it's just investing yourself in nature for the day there's no better place to do it than cannon mountain if you're getting on skis mike thank you very much it was a pleasure eric talking about ski areas in my home state there's nothing better especially someplace like cannon yeah i can't wait to, to even 
just driving by Canon gets me all geeked up. So you can imagine when I actually get the skis on there. Mike, thank you very much. That is going to be it for this episode of the Basecamp Podcast. I'm New England Ski Journal editor Eric Wilbur. We will see you on the next episode. New England Ski Journal's Basecamp is a Siemens Media podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Insightful.